Hi guys, welcome to the Business of Influence podcast with me, Leroy Mark. And Tammy Rasheen. Proudly brought to you by Style ID Africa. And in this week's episode, we chat about content creation platforms. So Tammy, yes. whenever we create content, there has to be a place where the content goes to, right? So it's either Instagram. Facebook, Twitter. TikTok. Threads. YouTube. And many others. You never know what's popping up these days. <laughs> but they all are a community and each of these communities have their own sort of rules and regulations and also the kind of content that we most comfortable in those spaces. Yeah. So in this week's episode we chat about which content creation platforms you should be using and the benefits and their downfalls. You're listening to the Business of Influence, proudly brought to you by Style ID Africa, the continent's leading influencer technology platform. All right, Tam. So I am a Facebook native yeah and then i immigrated over to instagram and twitter and tiktok and threads are not my comfort place um they are a form of platform that is very clicky has a very very defined niche and i think mine <laughs> my kind of content doesn't live very well there but let's chat about firstly these con these these platforms what are they used for like what kind of content is most at home at which platform I think that all depends on, and you can also tell me more in this based on your influencer experience on the platforms and channels, but I think it boils down to the niche that, um, you know, the individual and content creator is comfortable to publish their content on. And that, that can vary. I think it's even from a consumer perspective as well. So it doesn't just have to be, um, you know, from an influencer perspective. Yeah. So some people might just be more um, comfortable on various platforms yeah. or they're still comfortable with Facebook and haven't transitioned to TikTok yet or um, Instagram. But the question is, when it comes to influencers and content creators, why and how are they choosing a specific channel and platform? So yeah. maybe you can give us context from your side, starting off from Facebook, going into Instagram, mm. and then why did you say Twitter, TikTok, et cetera, and threads mm. are more secondary or non-existent? <laughs> non-existent. I mean, they're definitely there. Um, I think when you make a living out of creating content, you have to be multidisciplinary. I think it's just, you know, from a financial point of view, it doesn't make sense for you to lock yourself up into a corner. Yes. I think because the kind of content that I create and I work very much in the lifestyle sort of travel, fitness, uh, um, fashion space, um, you, you spend a lot actually investing in the aesthetic. So, you know, cameras, production, makeup, clothes and whatever. And sometimes you don't want that to be a fleeting experience like on, was it X now? Uh, Twitter. <laughs> yes. Thank you, Uncle Elon. Um, and, and for me, that's it. You don't want to use all those resources to then have something that Tammy will consume for two seconds in a flurry of tweets and it disappears. Absolutely. Whereas on Instagram, in particular, aesthetically, it stays there, so it it gives it longevity. You know, it's almost like it has a place to live in. So tell us, have you, as a influencer, explored? TikTok. TikTok for me is very confusing because um the reason why um Instagram and Facebook, but Instagram in particular is a comfort place for me because it's very curated, right? I have my background in production. So I've worked in television and radio and we plan everything out from the outfits to the makeup to whatever. And 
TikTok is all about like the moment and instantaneous. It doesn't so matter quick. what's on the floor in you the know? background. And also, I don't have a great singing voice, and I have two left feet, and so it becomes very difficult for me to dial into the fad because I also don't know then from a content creation revenue point of view whether oh, it will it, how, okay. will it pay me back if I learn the lyrics of this entire song and then I jump and dance on this trend. Will you as a brand go, hmm? But let me ask you a question. So you have the product content production yeah. background, correct? Um, let's talk to influencers who perhaps don't have a production background. TikTok um, could be that platform and that channel where it's not so curated, it's not so produced, mm-hmm. um, and that might that might be a better space and and platform for those type of content creators that don't want or don't have such yeah. curated backgrounds. And and we were chatting about uh, um, content creators having real estate outside of content, right? So you'll check yeah. episode one. Um, if you just go up here somewhere, you'll find a link. Um, and for me, I think you're, you're speaking to that, that, you know, back in the day, you'd have to have some sort of... Um, basis, whether you're a dancer or uh, you're a yes. mom or you're a, a, a television presenter or whatever. And then that would be just what your platforms would be, your your your, your social media platforms just be documenting that experience. Yes. And I think that's what TikTok is now. So you become a TikTok star and you can then use that for you to plug into other social media other platforms channels. because it is very authentic. I, I must say there's a massive authenticity about um, TikTok that we can't find on most platforms. Absolutely. Now, it might not be your primary channel as an influencer. Um, what is your consumption on TikTok as a viewer? Ooh, so we were chatting about how we used to YouTube things. Yes. You know, I used to be like, okay, I want to make a cake, let me go YouTube it, I want to fix my phone, let me go YouTube it. And now it's all gone onto TikTok. I must say, for me, the platform user interface is difficult i feel the same way i don't mind I the content the, are we showing our age? Yeah. <laughs> we need some things <laughs> what what do you find uncomfortable with it it's busy yeah i find it very busy many so icons all, like even though i've got so many tabs open in my head yeah. at any given time i just i, I find it busy I don't know how else to describe it. I think because we're Instagram natives. So we're people who are used to like a bar at the bottom that's discreet and quiet. And that keeps us sort of clean and everything. And TikTok is very, very loud as in content, in, in volume. And I suppose if you, I mean, we're speaking about, uh, I think last week we were speaking about Gen Alpha um, or in one of our many conversations, but they've grown up with, TikTok, so mm. they don't know any different, mm. for instance, whereas, as you say, we Instagram natives or Facebook natives, yeah. and now that that transition, even as a viewer for me on, on TikTok, is loud. It really is loud. Yeah. When we come back, we chat about what brands can do to make sure they utilize their platforms properly, and also, where do they, you know, find the influencers for each of these platforms? Do you go for Instagram and Twitter? Do you go Twitter and TikTok? Where do you place your content? All of that and more after these. The Business of Influence is brought to you by Style ID Africa, the continent's leading influencer technology platform. 
Welcome back to the Business of Influence podcast with me, Leroy Mark. And Tammy Rasheen. Proudly brought to you by Style ID Africa. And we've been chatting about content creation platforms, where to establish a niche, which of these platforms is you know good for you, and which content can live on those platforms. So, Tammy, yeah. we've been chatting about how we just don't get how the TikTok universe works, and we'll dive into that a bit later on. But I want to chat to you about how, from Style ID Africa's point of view, you know, we spend a lot of time um, hearing how brands will send briefs out and they'll say they want one, two, three, and four in their briefs. Hypothetically, let's say we've got client X Leroy and he wants to establish a campaign online and he has X amount of money. How do you figure out which of the content creation platforms to use um, based on what the client needs? Interesting question. And I think there's I'm a full lot of them, I tell you. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's a lot to discuss here in the sense that if a brief was sent and Style ID has the freedom to customize, I think is key here, um, the deliverables and channels according to what the client wants to achieve. So if the client is looking for the more curated type of content, number one, um, that will that will live on Instagram. Yes. Um, if you are looking for the more lo-fi like <laughs> type that. of content, lo-fi, lo-fi. <laughs> um, not as as aesthetically pleasing, yeah. um, that should live on TikTok. But it also depends on the type of message that the client wants to get across yeah. you know tiktok is used more a lot a lot more as you know for challenges yeah. songs um, trends. trends humor mm-hmm. entertainment uh, if it's a specific a specific type of message yeah. then we would suggest instagram let's not forget about the longer form type of content series or video series we would then um, suggest youtube for that more educational as well but different types of education i found i found that the the automotive guys really enjoy youtube because it allows them to speak more to some of the the minutiae of the vehicles they may be reviewing or they're working with where if you're doing something that isn't as technical and doesn't have a technical sort of following, so the people who are in your circle who follow the subject are not really worried about the you know, nitty gritty, you can do it um, on, a, on a shorter form. Absolutely. And think about, um, let's just take health and fitness yeah. or wellness, your um, recipes, your making your meals, mm. things like that, you know, um, have moved, I suppose, to TikTok a bit, but I would suggest to the client, as you had requested, um, to to do more YouTube focused. But then, what we actually do is a hybrid approach. Okay. So you can have a brief come in, and then we would segment it according to let's do the longer form video that will live on the longer form content that will live on YouTube break that up and segment that into Instagram, whether the stills will be placed on Instagram okay. or shorter form will be placed on reels. And then if there is um, if there is an option to do TikTok, but sometimes you yeah. know, we don't do that. I think, I think what's interesting to me is that, um, and maybe my, my, my question is twofold. If you have a primary um, um, platform like Instagram where video lives, right? 
and sort of the 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 compatible um, platform would be TikTok in the same way that if you're on X, for instance, you would also then possibly use something like Threads uh, or some similar some similar platform. But what happens about customizing the content? Because if you're shooting for Instagram and you're curating content and you're putting them into a video or for a reel or for a video, is that usable to just syndicate it over to TikTok? Because I mean, it's also video platforms that are... Well, I think brands um, are spraying and praying a bit. (laughs) Spray, pray. (laughs) In terms of... Cool. Leroy's influencer. You are um, signed up for for a campaign. You go and create your one reel, your still, and then repurpose your content yeah. on TikTok. So this, you're not you're not going to go and create a completely separate video just yeah. for TikTok. So I think that's where a lot of educating needs to come in. Um, that no, it's not necessarily the same influencers that ne- that should be used mm. for the spray and pray mm. approach on Instagram and TikTok. And our advice to the brands, we try and segment that into use your Instagram influencers um, for that particular purpose, but then use TikTokers for because for you a know different purpose. Because I, I found that the the TikTok and the Twitter communities and people who are sort of natives of those communities people who have the, the major part of their following or influence on that on those platforms tend to not understand the stringent aesthetic sort of uh, rules that happen on instagram right you're sitting in a situation where um you 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 get a twitter person getting a a, a campaign to go and i don't know go out and check out hotels and they get there and you definitely see that like the the aesthetic is very much for consume and throw away disposable absolutely whereas twitter instagram is all about consume and keep you know it's buying the high end and you keep it on there it's your library Mm. it's your yeah it's just it's there to be kept and saved and what's going to happen if um the platform just shuts yeah. down. We need to discuss, um, I don't know, there's bans of TikTok in various countries. Yes. And then what's happened to the content creators who have spent their mm. livelihood, um, you know, building their followers, curating their content. So it's another, it's another discussion yeah. in terms of not solely relying um, on these platforms, but where where else are these content creators saving their content and we and i think that's what happens we try to almost future-proof ourselves because i know when when x was going through that little debacle we all ran into threads because we're like in the event that that whole thing gets closed down or elon completely butchers it (laughs) let's maybe have a place to go but for me what's interesting then is what do we do from a pricing point of view because i think what makes tiktok so interesting is that it's really upended what we've known about content creation for the last 10 years right we always thought that followers equals engagement equals reach equal equals impressions and then the price associated and the price associated with that whereas tiktok is just like lo-fi the numbers mean nothing from our um industry expertise and you're going to get influencers on tiktok that are actually considered or pay they cheaper than the instagram influencers or the youtube youtubers so there is a there is a difference in the pricing and again coming back to the brand brief that how we would segment that more of the budget 
would probably be put to your Instagram influencers. But because TikTokers may be charging um, or paid less, the rest of the budget would go there. So you might have higher followings on TikTok, but you're not necessarily going to get paid the same amount that somebody with the same following on Instagram will have. Yeah, because also apparently it's easier to go viral. The content doesn't need to be as aesthetically pleasing. Yes. And the message is different, which talks to the uh, the chat we had last week about sort of where the 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 numbers that you know follow, uh, influencers have and the use of their resources. So we Absolutely. have like those nanos are the ones that speak to where to find the product, how to use it, and then you get your megas. They're only coming in to tell us about the product. So correct, it's a big big hybrid. I think there's there's so much from um, a specialist agency style id perspective even from the influencers perspective and specifically the brand's perspective there's so much that needs to be um we need to learn still Mm. the whole tiktok navigating tiktok ecosystem and environment um is is complex yeah no it really really is complex and because it's complex we had an expert come in and chat to us so i have an interview with the lovely numbulelo fox who is a big content creation creator on tiktok we chat to her next the Business of Influence is brought to you by Style ID Africa. Our integrated approach combines innovative technology with a human touch. All right. Hi, guys. Welcome back. So in this segment, we'll be chatting to Nombrella Fox, who's an awesome TikTok content creator. She's over 45,000 followers on TikTok, so she's quite a big deal. And we're chatting all about the platform, how she got into it, and how she even started this whole content creation journey. So Nombrella, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much, guys, for having me. I love your name, Nombulelo Fox. Is that your real name? Is that a God-given name? Is that your pseudonym? Yes, yes, it is. Um, so literally, God-given to me, obviously, by my mother. But because my mother wasn't married, literally, I think that was the determining factor. So she wasn't married. So thankfully, she passed that down to me. And I was like, you know what? I need to make this a thing um, because clearly no one else is capitalizing on the thing at home. So yeah, but literally that is my actual ID name and everything. Yo, it, it's such a, a superstar name, you know, like it's like there's Will Smith, there's like Shirley Theron, there's Nombulelo Fox. Like it just works. I know. <laughs> <laughs> it was clearly meant to be, it was meant to be. No, it really was meant to be. Chatting about like show business, right? Um, first and foremost, what do you do outside of content creation? Like, give me a holistic overview for people who don't know you about what you do outside of your content creation life. Okay, cool. So I am actually a public relations consultant um, by profession, studied corporate comms and everything. Um, and I've been working with your endless brand for I think the past six to seven years. Um, so started out in agencies, um, did, you know, had my brief stint freelancing as well as corporate as well for one of the biggest fashion retailers in the country. Um, and also kind of moved locations for a bit, came back to Joburg and that's what I've been doing most of the time, um, which has been super, super amazing. Um, so that's essentially what I do, but I mostly just, you know, specialize, um, in, you know, just ensuring that my clients are happy telling stories, whether it's through media, um, you know, lobbying, but also influencer marketing, which, you know, has definitely grown over the years. I know even when I started out um, in PR, it was that kind of breaking in, especially from a brand perspective. Mm. 
So yeah, so I suppose in an overview, that's what I do just on a full-time basis. Um, and that's what I get, you know, by bread. You know, <laughs> I love I love that you chat about that you, you tell stories, right, for your clients and you tell them for a living, which is very interesting to me. And when did you move from... I mean, you haven't moved, but when did you add on to your storytelling from just storytelling for your clients as, you know, a PR practitioner to start storytelling on a content creation point of view? Because it is storytelling. Yeah, yeah. So I think my storytelling actually started before I started working. Um, so when I was in varsity, um, one of the things that I enjoyed doing, which I still do to this day, is actually writing. Because I do a lot of writing in the work that I do. Um, and so I had this blog back in varsity and I used to be, guys, I used to be quite political, okay? Like, <laughs> I used to talk about my opinions and just, you know, have these conversations, especially for a lot of millennials, um, specifically for, like, people who were born in 94, right? Um, because we had this, you know, whole status that we needed to be these, you know, Mandela and have our voices, you know, um, just out there. And... Though that particular blog actually opened up quite a lot of opportunities. The fact that I also managed at the time to, you know, be interviewed by the late Eusebius McKaiser, um, when he was still on Power FM. So the storytelling actually started there. And then as I gradually, um, you know, graduated and started working, it just became such a natural fit, right? And while I obviously told stories for all these brands and so on into shifting, obviously, audiences, um, and the kind of content that I was writing, um, I've been introduced to content creation. Um, and so that's where I, I think initially started out doing hair content, which is, I know, just like quite far from what I was doing before. Um, and then I kind of saw the beauty of, you know, telling stories about African hair, um, looking at just our identities as, as black women, essentially, and the fact that, you know, hair is an extension of who we are. Um, and then at that point, that's when I literally wrote the wave for, for, for quite a while. I think this was back in 20, 2018. And then I briefly stopped, I think, when COVID happened. Yeah. And then when COVID happened, I know a lot of us are very much at home, not really doing much. I mean, heck, I was even like, I think I was retrenched at the time. So I was obviously on my phone quite a lot, trying to get entertainment and so on. And the one thing that I did notice was that there weren't that many people that were doing entertainment commentary locally that mm. was very much, um, I don't want to say, yeah, I suppose that wasn't distasteful, if, if, if that even makes sense, because a lot of what we were consuming at the time, even before COVID, was very much either your church television, you had yeah. gossip colors, you had all of these platforms, but there wasn't, you know, there wasn't really anyone that was just talking about entertainment in somewhat of an objective way that wasn't slanderous or whatever the case is. Mm. And I figured, I'm like, hmm, maybe this is an opportunity, you know, to kind of just try something new. Um, mm. And also looking at the fact that my friends always looked to me for Indaba on who's doing <laughs> what, with what, and so on. But it was just thinking about how could I make this a lot more, um, you know, pleasing for people um, so that they can also just, you know, consume the content and also educate themselves. Um, and also thinking at the back of my mind, in the event where I decide to work with brands, um, this is how I would want to do things. Mm -hmm. So that's how my storytelling journey has been from varsity literally till now. You know what I love about um, the the transition? Because I think you, you've obviously, you've been very close to brands, you know, one as, you know, 
client to, to, to practitioner bases. But it's also uh, very clear that you're very deliberate about so the kind of content and the stories that you tell. Because the one thing that was very striking to me about your content is that on a platform, and maybe let's go one step back before I ask that question, you know, political, being political, even on, in the days of blogging was never something popular, it was always sort of taboo, right? Because you don't want to ruffle feathers because if you are going to work with brands at any given point, you want to make sure that you've got a nice sanitized, you know, clean image from which that they can piggyback on. And almost opinion writing is almost left to the purview of just being journalists, right? So for me, I'm very interested in that, in that, you know, when you're, how did you even view it? Were you at the time even thinking about that you'd have to, you know, work with brands that you would one day come together and get paid for your content creation, whatever form it took. Because as we say, you know, politics are like sex, politics, religion, we just don't touch. And you seem to be knee deep in one of them. Yeah, look, I mean, at the time when I had the, the more political blog, it didn't cross my mind um, because I just thought it was just something that, you know, that I would just do in my spare time because I always just enjoyed sharing my opinion. So the brand aspect of it really only just started coming in once I started working. Um, and I think for me, Momuntu, I don't want to say what I'm a people's teaser, but I also don't like upsetting people, right? And so I needed to also be quite conscious as people, I need a spine, all of us hold different opinions. And so I need to always approach, you know, talking about certain individuals in a, a certain way so that it's not too offensive in a, in a sense, and it's also not too teasing as if I favor the person or whatever the case is, because at the end of it, I'm also trying to drive engagement. I'm trying to have these conversations with individuals, you know, on my platform. So um, I think that, yeah, essentially it only, I suppose the wokeness of it and the whole thing around brands really only started coming in like at a later stage um, because yeah, my, my opinion pieces when I still had my political, you know, blog was very, I don't want to say it was controversial, but um, my opinions were definitely, um, yeah, quite striking. Yeah, so. <laughs> quite real, quite real. Yeah. I'm interested in the synergy between you as a content creator and you as a, as a PR practitioner. Um, you know, we were chatting um, about how we, you know, as you say, you know, millennials were definitely people who were born as technology was coming in, as the social media platforms were being created. So you can remember a time when you had to like move from, you know, one-on-one -on -one to virtual to online to liking to poking to friend requesting and 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 um but now that you're working in the space where it's your monday to friday you're dealing with strategies with clients when you create your content does that even does does your i'm gonna say your other professional persona influence your 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 content creation persona or strategy um it definitely does um for one because there's always something, okay, with the line of, you know, obviously content that I do, there's always something happening every single hour, every split second, right? And the biggest thing is to keep up with what's happening. And the only way you can kind of keep up with what's going on is to ensuring that your planning makes sense and that you also just make your life a whole lot easier. And that's pretty much the crux of what I do um, because without any sort of planning, uh, I, there's literally no direction with anything whether it's from strength to choosing the right influencer for my other campaigns. Um, it's pretty much, 
it's, it's very much aligned. Um, and so thankfully, um, you know, even with where I am currently, I've learned quite a lot, especially from a planning um, point of view, which kind of helps me quite a lot with uh, my content creation. And, you know, whenever I date brands to obviously just approach me for work and so on, I can at least plan my work accordingly to ensure that I also meet my deliverables outside of work um, the same way that I would, you know, in my normal professional job as well. So it, it definitely had a good one to do. Um, and, and yeah, I was literally just carrying that through throughout. I even have like a whole, so there's this like journal that I carry. And with every story that happens, even you know, stories here at the office that I hear from colleagues, like when we're on lunch, I usually just jot them down because I'm like, I know this is a content piece. I look into it when I get home. And I literally just make notes of that just to show, you know, the fact that I need to do research because that's also important. So, um, so I think a lot of what I do has definitely had, you know, obviously has reflected um, into my contemplation work as well. You know what I love? I love that because you're always in, you're in the business and you're constantly getting, you know, taking in info, downloading it, keep putting it on. You're, you're definitely on the pulse of the kind of content that you're doing because you're living it every yeah. day. Um, your two lives sort of mirror together quite nicely. Um, which yeah. is interestingly to how, and we'll chat about the kind of content you're into because I'm very interested in that. But for me, it's so interesting about how we choose niches, right? Um, um, in this in, in this content creation space, you know, we were chatting with Tammy and I about how I'm from a generation where Instagram was the place where we gravitated to because it was the next platform after Facebook. And, you know, Facebook was where your grandmother and your auntie would all meet up and chat and birthdays and shout outs and, 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 and. And Instagram was the one that was more aesthetically pleasing. Tammy calls it the library. You know, you can do beautiful things there. But talk to me about how you, you, you one, what you think about um, platform niches, so where you put your content, because you've obviously taken onto TikTok. Uh, and we'll chat about why that's important for you. But how did you even carve out this niche for you about the content you create and then the platform to which you want to place it on? So, whew, yeah, that's a loaded question. <laughs> um, I, think, I think for me, um, from a niche perspective, um, I was, okay, firstly choosing, obviously going into what I decided to do was because of a gap, right, that I identified at the time. Um, because I felt like I, my frustrations when working as a PR consultant was that we were getting pretty much the same type of content creators, right? And everyone was doing the same thing, whether it was fashion, lifestyle, whatever the case is. And there was this need for diversity from a content um, you know, perspective. And I felt like at the time with the platforms that were in existence, so your Facebook, your Twitter, your Instagram, were very much not giving an opportunity to want to say alternative niches um, mm. because it was very much about aesthetics, but very much about, you know, um, still content, it needs to be a certain way. And the introduction of, you know, TikTok, but I suppose even other platforms um, that looked at video content was it enabled people to pretty much do whatever it is that they wanted to do. Mm. And I felt like this was the right platform for me to thrive with my content because it was immediate. The fact that I can literally just jump onto TikTok, I can curate my own feed to kind of suit what I like. And I think at the time, <laughs> Instagram was a bit tricky with the algorithms and everything. Hey, and the algorithms. And so I, I know. 
So, so the beauty about TikTok is that you weren't necessarily measured on, you know, aesthetics. It was about delivering, right? It was about talking to the right people, saying the right things as well, because that's what the audience who, you know, interacted with your content would basically expect from you. And the thing with me is that prior to, you know, doing commentary, when I felt that, hey, I was very much on Instagram and I was like, yo, now I must have this fancy equipment to make sure that my, my work looks a certain way. And that stressed me out. I don't want to lie. It stressed me out so much. And it was also quite intensive just from a, a financial point of view. Um, and so a platform like TikTok enables me to literally capture content any and everywhere. And I mean, even like to today, um, whenever I travel for work, I can still do content like in my hotel room. I've done a couple of, you know, campaign work actually while traveling. Um, and it's just given me that opportunity because I know that my audience wants to hear or wants to watch this content and they don't care over here. So it's such a carefree environment and that's what I loved about it because I just feel like there's no pressure, there's no standards or norms to conform to. Um, and that's basically how I kind of maneuvered into choosing the right platform for what I wanted to do. Because unfortunately, the other alternatives, they weren't like, yeah, no, unfortunately what I was doing wasn't really as receptive. And I mean, even now, um, with brands asking for me to, you know, kind of engage on, on Instagram or alternative platforms, I'm like, it's hard because that audience is very different. They expect a certain, you know, way of doing things. And I don't know if I want to adapt to that because I found my feet um, in a platform like TikTok. Um, and it's ironic because I used to always laugh at friends when they first started out on TikTok. Um, and I said to them, I was like, oh, guys, if TikTok is for kids, like, hey, I'm trying now, what are you guys doing on this platform? And, and look at us now, like, literally coining it and, and, and doing great things on the platform. You know, it's so, it's so interesting because the conversation Tammy and I were having is um, we're, we're in, in synergy um, to what the conversation was saying because part of the reason why I like Instagram is the fact that it's so curated and it's so aesthetic and so structured um, because I come from a background of television and, and radio. We yeah. producers and content producers and tech producers online who are making sure you say the right thing. It's pre-scripted. We wait for the light. We've changed shoot days because it's raining and want a nice summer's day, so we'll postpone. And for me, what I'm hearing you say is um, TikTok, it really does, pref it, 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 it almost, it, it loves you for your personality, if that makes sense. You know, it loves you yeah. for who you are and not the clothes that you're wearing um, or, or, or the hotel you're shooting at. And therefore the content becomes more authentic and more real because it's almost like a phone call to Nombulelo Fox, you know, we're talking exactly. about the frills, which I never see, saw that way. I always thought that it was such a busy place because it's all about dancing and trends and filters and things. But again, I guess it's, it's dialing into the stupid nature of people, into the funny nature of people, into the childish nature of people. And that's yeah. But for me, it's interesting that your kind of content, you decided to put it on TikTok. Yes, I understand the authenticity level, but I mean, TikTok is, as you say, we see this in the way at TikTok. It's loud, it's busy, there's a trend, there's a filter for this, there's always a skit, there's a new song you need to learn. And you're bringing, I wouldn't say serious um, subject matter, but you're bringing very structured, um, very content-rich 
um, um, subject matter that is not fleeting. You know, it's stuff that when you're driving along, you're like, I wonder what the news is. Nombolelo hit me up and then you get it, which is usually what we associate with either Twitter, uh, Twitter okay. or Instagram. So I'm interested to yeah. find out how did the people at, at, at uh, Twitter PTYLTD um, take you on because you're not the archetype of the Twitter, no. you know, resident. Yeah, um, like I wouldn't even lie to you. I think I think for me, Twitter, <laughs> Twitter is very political in our country, and I feel like it's the same even in other you know other regions as well. Um, and one thing about about Twitter is that it tends to, and this is just my opinion, it tends to overlook you know people who have something to say. Um, important conversations because there's quite a lot of trolling. Not to say that, you know, TikTok doesn't have that or Instagram doesn't have that, but the reality is that when you look at the conversations and where the energy kind of, you know, kind of ends up being, it's quite negative. And this is just me, right? Because something positive that could be trending could easily be, you know, changed and tweaked into something so negative that okay wait how did we get here yeah. because this was supposed to just be a subject that was being spoken about and then um and i think with with tiktok for some reason you i don't know it's just you find your tribe and your tribe understands the language that you speak and so not everything is misconstrued um to what you're saying you know as a creator because certain people like to Deep, or, yeah, dive deep way into what you say and they end up twisting certain things that you often say and so on. So I just felt like the tribe on TikTok and the intention of wanting to engage positively um, with me as a creator was a lot stronger than um, than Twitter. Um, and yeah, it, it, I think that that's where the differences actually are. And the fact that unfortunately, because I am a visual person, having to type out my thoughts is not the most ideal thing. Like I talk, but Twitter is just not the, the one platform that I would go to literally talk about whatever it is that I'm trying to communicate. So, um, so I think that's where the difference is in, you know, obviously just moving towards TikTok over um, Twitter, not to say that it is, you know, a, a, a you know, terrible platform, but, but you also just look at the conversations that are being had at the moment. And I just don't want to be associated in that because you, you will end up training for the wrong reason, even yeah. though your intention wasn't to, you know, go into that direction. But yeah. Yeah. I mean, I know how the number of tweets I've deleted because even when I read it, I'm like, this can be construed as either sexist or racist or whatever it is. Yes. You also don't get to hear the tone, right, of the person who's writing. As you say, it's, it's not visual. It's, it's, it's quite text-based. Which mm. Chat to me about um, whether as a PR practitioner or as a, as a, as a, 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 a content creator, and I use the word practitioner because I think it's, it's all-encompassing of the many, many talents of Nambulela Fox. <laughs> um, have you found that your audiences um, in South Africa are different to your audiences abroad? Do you have, like, is, is, is your content able to speak to, uh, across the, the, the border lines? And what are you finding to be the differences with South African TikTok versus sort of the global TikTok community? So for me, so I've been very intentional about the kind of audience that I serve um, because I think when I came across, obviously when I was looking at, you know, commentary on TikTok in general, 
there were more global or international commentators than there were locally. And so my intention was very much to rather define myself as a commentator or an entertainment commentator that would speak to South African audiences in particular, mm -hmm. right? And the content that interests us on a day-to-day. -day. Because sometimes, you know, you tune in on the radio and you hear them talking about Beyonce. Not that I have a problem with Beyonce, absolutely love Beyonce, but I also want to hear about, you know, what our local stars are doing, like which shows are currently, you know, popping up on Showmax and, um, you know, what is happening because you're trying to also drive South Africans to also be proud of the work that, you know, is being done by, say, local creators or whatever the case is. And so I think on that front, that's where I think my major, um, you know, differentiator um, is at as, as a creator and what you know local audiences appreciate about me um but from a global um point of view because i've had a couple of people um you know engage on my content especially with certain content that also you know certain people would know of individuals that i'm speaking about um it's, it's i think the, the the biggest thing here is just the language barrier you know yeah. part of it um uh, because me now i literally mix languages when i speak and so we're very South African in that way. We do that. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But because that's just who we are, we understand each other. Even if but they'll still understand what I'm saying, right? Um and so on. And so I think that's where the difference is because the global audience is always just like, okay, please provide subtitles or like speak in mm -hmm. English. But it's so hard because sometimes you really can't speak in English because you can't describe what you're trying to say, you know, in English. So I think it has been a learning that I'm also just trying to, you know, kind of change along the way. But I think um, that has pretty much been the only difference. Um, but I think mm, the biggest thing is just the fact that I, I just cater to South African audiences um, mainly. And, you know, obviously in future I would appreciate obviously just going back to global audiences, especially on the continent. Um, and then share the rest of the world um, because I feel like just as Africa, there's a lot of storytelling um, that you know exists, and I want to be a part of that as well. My second last question to you, uh, Lombulelo, is talk to me about how content creation seems to be the great equalizer across the the, the spectrum as far as gender race is concerned. Because I'm hearing you chat about how you know you you speak in a very South African way, your audiences appreciate just the South Africanness about you, but they also appreciate all aspects of you, right? They appreciate that you're a black woman. They you know they appreciate that you're a black South African woman working who has opinions about these particular things. Where you know traditional media is still you know held in the hands of white males who sort of might not be at the forefront of, you know, in the front of the camera and then forefront of the agenda, but they definitely influence the agenda. So I'm so interested in how it's been able to, for you, um, you know, your, your, you, like in other content creators, are sought after because exactly of the things that make you different from everyone else. No, no, definitely. So I think um, more than anything, content creation has really definitely given us a platform and an opportunity to, um, you know, firstly speak our minds, um, which is definitely a big thing, but secondly, to also find your tribe, because I think a lot of us, even from a professional point of view, we feel so like closed off because mm. 
of you know certain stereotypes that exist in the workplaces or certain you know systems that are obviously in place that don't necessarily benefit us. Um, and so content creation on its own and being able to be given a platform to talk about you know the things that we experience, how we view you know um, the world as well, also goes to educating individuals um, you know about the experiences of a black woman. Um, and whether these are good or bad or traumatic experiences, I feel like these are things that people need to know that they can't unfortunately yeah. learn in textbooks. Um, because for the longest time, I mean, as you said, media is very much driven with a certain narrative and it doesn't always benefit everyone. Um, and this is where, um, you know, there's, there's always the old school versus new school, even, you know, in the offices where people are like, eh, I don't want to use a content creator, I'd much rather like, partner up with the media partner because I know that my work is going to look a certain way but it's like you need to have a mashup of both because we live in a diverse world people have different experiences um, and so content creation as a concept is supposed to blur those lines um, because I feel like that's the one thing that's definitely going to help people from being I want to say less ignorant of you know things that I experience in different countries like we often see, you know, even in conversations, especially on Twitter, this happens often on Twitter, when you see fights happening between South African Twitter users and like US Twitter users, and yeah. you realize that, you know, these are the reasons why content creation needs to exist in order to teach people that Africa does not have roaming lions everywhere. We don't have roaming lions on Yansmas Avenue or whatever the case is. And the fact that, guys, we live in the same world. It's just yeah. we're separated through the continent. And, but you need to realize that we are civilized human beings. Um, and this is where the role of content creation definitely has an upper hand. Um, because I feel like years down the line, like, guys, we're still stuck in the same situation with media, traditional media. Um, with that, and this is where then our content creators are able to kind of pretty much blur those lines and actually say, guys, this is actually the reality um, of South Africans, um, you know, and so on. So I think it's, it's definitely given a lot of us just an opportunity to, you know, be very open and honest and also be able to teach people um, about the things that, you know, that we experience, the things that, you know, how our entertainment industry is at or where it's at. Um, you know, and the work that we do, um, because I think that's the one that's the one thing that gives us an advantage in allowing for whether whatever subject you talk about to essentially flourish and be exposed in other regions or other facets of the world as well. So um, I don't know if that answers your question. But Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. For me, for me, the take out from our conversation is blurring the lines, you know. And it's blurring the lines intentionally because we're not the same. And it's so amazing yeah. to get content. And I think that's one of the, the, the amazing things about TikTok and the authenticity of a platform like TikTok, where you're literally seeing people in their homes. You know, there's a particular content creator who does like a get ready with me and they live in a back room, a Gomorrah. And, you know, some people might say that's like a poverty porn type of thing, but for me, it's very familiar, you know. It's not a foreign to see to go throw out the water, hang up their bus slap and get on, go in a way. Exactly, you know, exactly. So I, I, I'm hearing you when you say it's there to blur the lines. Chat to me finally, Nombulelo, about you know, you work with brands and TikTok is the new sort of um, disruptor in what was already a disrupted world of social media. 
Um, what are, what is this, uh, some of the advice that you can give to brands wanting to work with with content creators um, generally, but in particular on TikTok, and also for aspiring content creators on on the platform wanting to work with brands? What what should they know about each other? So I think from a brand to um, you know just advising how they can maneuver you know just around working um, on platforms like TikTok is being able to give people a chance, right? Um, and I say this because um, it's weird because I was at the Content Creator Awards this past weekend. And one of the things that I was saying to a colleague of mine was just how I appreciate such concepts or ideas because they introduce you to, you know, new individuals that you've never come across. Because also understand as much as we understand what content creation is, not all of us follow the same people. And so I, coming into that space, I'm being introduced to someone who I've never seen on my feed, and this is my chance to actually get to know who this person is, to see where the opportunity is, rather than doing what everyone else is doing and going for the usual content creators that are expected, right, that are the norm. Um, and so, and I understand, well, you know, as brands, we've got KPIs to measure games and so on, but I feel like... Brands need to start giving people a chance. They're people who honestly create such amazing content, but the only thing that's really just, you know, obviously that they still need to work on is their following. But I feel like with the right guidance and right direction, they could get to where you need them to get to. Um, because I think after time, like content creation, especially with like big names, it starts to plateau, right? Because now it's like, okay, cool, we are expecting this influencer to be working with this brand, so like, what is new? And so you've got this pool of so many creators coming up who have a lot to offer, have different experiences to share that just needs to be given a chance. So I think that's just my um, two cents regarding, you know, just advice for, for, for a lot of brands. And take the risk, guys. Like, I know, in my corner. The money is definitely there. It doesn't have to be a million, but you know, the few the few rents that you have for creators really do go a long way and they end up boosting people's self-esteem to create better content, you know, um for brands as well. And I think the advice that I have for content creators um as well when working or wanting to work with brands is always be confident of your own work, even when you feel like you know, um, it's not my best work. And you really never know until you actually share who you are, you share your work, um, because I'm, I'm often very surprised when I get, you know, media kits from content creators. And I'm just like, where have you been hiding? Like, where have you been? Um, and so I think just, just be very proud of your work. Don't criticize yourself way too much. Um, there's opportunities, yes, to get better, but that comes with time. Um, you're not going to perfect everything all at once. Um, but you will get there. Like you honestly will get there. You'll keep evolving um, and just continue just reaching out to, you know, brands, being authentically you. Don't be afraid and just be confident in who you are as a content creator and everything else will literally just open up the way for you. Oh man, what a fantastic chat. Thank you so much, Nombulelo Fox. At U Nombulelo on TikTok. Yeah, well. <laughs> insightful conversation, but also thank you for being so real about the, the goings on on TikTok. Um, and we look forward to seeing more content, more commentary, and more of more of you. Um, yes. You really <laughs> are a, a shining light for us. And I think this is uh, an example of how 
you know, people think content creation is fleeting. Do it mm. to your mind, but they don't realize how much we think about it. So thank you so much for your time and thank you for you. Thank you so, so much, Leroy. And yeah, I really hope that, you know, a lot of people actually take a lot of insights from this conversation and that they do best in whatever avenue of content creation that they also in as well. Oh, thank you so much. After this, we go back to the Business of Influence podcast with me, Tammy, um, and we chat more about this niches and these uh, content creation platforms. But for now, Class is in session. If you're ready for a deeper education in influencer marketing, sign up for Style ID Africa's free webinar series. Welcome to the Business of Influence podcast, Mili Raymark. I'm Tammy Rasheen. And we're still talking about the business of influence. And in this episode, I'm, I'm getting an education on how the platforms themselves lend themselves to particular content creators. But what I I think is so interesting to me is what happens when you find someone who has a particular niche in a platform and they then spread it out. So I'll give you an example. I maybe I'm really good at cooking, but I don't want my cooking page to really interfere with my fashion lifestyle and gym page. Um, when we're looking at, even from a business point of view, when you're looking at dealing with an influencer, whether it be micro, nano, mega, whatever it is, how much do you build in that they've got more than one account or do you see each account as an individual account? Each channel or each account? Yeah. Because let's let's take that one step further. Yeah. So let's just take Instagram. Yeah. So we've got Leroy and you focus on your fashion mm -hmm. and your lifestyle, um, automotive. Mm -hmm. If you could, ha you could set up a completely different Instagram account yeah focused on cooking yeah my favorite thing <laughs> or you can then decide i'd rather keep it somewhat casual yeah. um humorous entertaining and put your cooking content on tiktok yeah so how would you decide as an influencer where to segment your niches and then within channels or going into separate channels i think it's easier when you're working within a platform and creating multiple channels if you'll call them that because you always can then steal from your one account to the other so for instance leroy fashion versus leroy food i can then steal from leroy fashion because ultimately they're not just only following my fashion they're following Leroy and fashion. Exactly, exactly. What's interesting to me is what do we do then about establishing, because it's a way for us to also establish different niches, right? Which I think is what we need to almost start the conversation at that. When you establish a niche, where do you house the niche? So in your opinion, working with influencers and brands, when you're looking at an influencer, when you find content or their content, when do you go, that's well-placed in the right it's platform? It's funny you say that because even when we vet the influencers mm. um, that register on Style ID and we get a lot of requests, uh, um, messages saying, well, I've been rejected. Yes, there's uh, various requirements, but often when we're looking at a page as well and we'll be like... <laughs> not sure this is a bit of everything and a bit of yeah. nothing you know what i mean so like 
we need to, and I think influencers need to take into consideration when you are posting, 100% maybe plug in other aspects of, it doesn't have to be your entire feed focused on just fashion, but when an agency or brand come to your page and are not sure what you're focusing yeah. on, um, you know, either make the make the transition to another um, platform yeah. or open another page. <laughs> <laughs> um, but there needs to be some identification. You know what that 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 comes with. Um, I get a lot of questions around how did I begin in the space, yes. and I keep. Um, chatting about how it, the the niches I work in almost chose me just by the line of work I was doing at the time, but it's also because you need to be a key opinion leader in that. That niche. is so key. So if you're gonna be someone who, because you're you're a good cook, but me, it's, <laughs> well, I mean she's fantastic. <laughs> Um, but you, you know that that's not where you can lead the conversation. You just might be a really good home cook. So let me, let me ask you something. So let's take, um, in your niche, your opinion leader, not you, yeah. influencer <laughs> X, um, you're a fitness focus, yes. right? That is your niche. That is your category. And then channel is Instagram. And then you start publishing content that promotes um, a cider or a drink, beer, a a drink. drink. Yeah. Um, but your niche is fitness. Yeah. So from an agency perspective, I start to, we, sorry, start to look at things like that. So if your niche is 90% fitness or um, majority fitness and then you're starting to promote um, a beer how does that fit in because yeah. I would suggest fine if you want to go and create other content for other types of niches put that on another channel so if if influencer a is fashion and or fitness content creator and they want to promote something that's definitely uh, not fitness like a cider. I wouldn't be mad at that because I think the point you made earlier on about having your content on your page doesn't live as a vacuum, right? So yeah. you aren't Tammy mom, full stop. Yeah. You're not Tommy, Tammy business, full stop. You are rounded. What I would try and do is keep it in the same narrative. So I'd have you say something along okay. the lines of, um, you know, I train every week and once a week I reward myself with cider oh, yeah. a <laughs> yes. uh, you know or, okay or, okay that's yeah. important and i, I think, think from a narrative yeah. perspective very much so it's not just the aesthetic mm. or the product you're putting out um i think the messaging yes needs to be taken taken into consideration when it comes to your niche and what you want to portray to your audience in terms of your lifestyle as a whole um i think that's that's a very important point from a narrative perspective. What if we were to do like a rapid fire questions, right? <laughs> and I said to you, Tammy, on this platform, what do you think would be best suited for it as a niche? Just, and I won't hold you to it and I won't, you know, come back and, and, and hold a gun to your head. But if I said to you, for instance, if you were, if I said to you, Twitter, what is the best in your opinion kind of content that sits on there? Okay, well, let's start with Insta because that's just my go-to. Um, I would definitely say fashion, Instagram, beauty, Instagram, and TikTok. Yeah. Um, fitness, 
Instagram, but then you get challenges, etc., on TikTok. TikTok. Yeah. So it's kind of like this primary and secondary. secondary yeah. That's yeah. how that's how I would classify or segment it. Why yeah. are brands afraid of Twitter slash X? Yeah, there's a lot. Yeah. You've got to be so careful mm-hmm. on Twitter um, slash X. And where we usually use Twitter is for your Twitter spaces. Yes. So space. brands, um, I do understand why they're nervous to be on Twitter. It's more for announcements yeah. and things like that, um, as opposed to just constantly publishing different types of content. Um, but where we use Twitter is for Twitter spaces, yeah. Twitter armies, um, getting virality mm. out there. Um, but brands are also scared of TikTok. I think it's the it's the realness of how quickly the response comes in and how you can't necessarily Very even much so. verify how the conversation will go. It's Correct. almost like getting into an Uber and you don't know if your Uber driver's had a good day or a bad day yes. because yes. you can go and announce that, you know, um, we at Brand X have decided to employ a black female CEO. That's yes. usually a good idea, but you don't know how it's going to be received. It's probably the lack of control. Yeah. It definitely is a lack of control. Yeah, so the brands want some sort of control and I suppose from PR aspect as well. Yeah, and you don't know how it's going to go down. So I think what brands have done is use Twitter as uh, um, an outlet for you to be able to communicate with them directly. But yeah. from an investment point of view, it means you have to have someone dedicated to listen absolutely. to all those. Absolutely, absolutely. Wow. What happens when you're trying to be um, moving from one platform to another? Um, you know, from an influencer point of view, you're trying to, you know, you've got an Instagram, you know, you're safe there, you know, you've got your niche there, but you're also trying to increase because the thing is when we get influencer briefs, right, there's a brief you get for Instagram, but you also want the TikTok brief. You also want the Twitter brief because it's money in the bank at the end of the day, Yes. you know, so how do you maybe take whatever you're into, let's say fashion, beauty, whatever you are and move it one channel, one, one platform over, what would be the first consideration? Um, It depends on the platform that you're moving over to. So if your primary platform is Instagram, look, I think Nobulela is going to teach us a lot on (laughs) on TikTok and and moving over. So you must understand that it's not, it might not be your primary channel, um, whereas some generations, for instance, have grown up specifically just on TikTok. So they don't know any different, you know. Um, But I think there's a lot of navigating that needs to happen once you move over and and depending on the channel that you're moving over to. One one more cat among the pigeon questions. When you're not of a platform, um, so you're I'm I'm not big on TikTok and I go on there and I want to bring a new sort of um, a conversation point that the community is not used to. So for instance, Nombulelo um, is on TikTok, but she doesn't do um, challenges as much. She brings us celebrity news. She gives us you know um, what's trending in the news cycle. Yes. Um, you know, can you have a first mover advantage as a newcomer? I'm sure. Definitely. Definitely. Um, I don't feel that one always has to follow the trend and be the early adopter. And, and, you know, it's, that's how a lot of influencers have made it um, and sparked their numbers and got the engagement and and the followers just being that trendsetter. 
Um, so there is definitely advantage in that. Yeah, I think finding the platform and where to live with it is really one of the biggest challenges and the work that you have all to do around. Uh, all around, all around, <laughs> whether you be a brand, whether you be a content creator. And I think it's worthwhile taking the time to really in, look at what you want to invest in and what you're really good at and where your niche will be most comfortable. And for me, you know what, just to add on that lastly, um, is there's no one size fits all. Yeah. And that's, I think, just with everything in general. So I think it's just about perhaps as a um, as an influencer, understanding your primary, having a secondary. Yeah. As a brand, also understanding your primary, nothing wrong with the secondary, um, and really just understanding where it all fits in. I, I, so didn't, I didn't go as far as saying having a primary, having a secondary and a tertiary. Absolutely. You know, where you, you can have a third place for you to place your, 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 your content. Because again, they come up every week, you know, there's a absolutely, new, <laughs> absolutely. But I think with that, it's also, um, and just, just from a brand perspective, you don't have to be everywhere. Yeah. So maybe find one or two of those or three of those channels and do that well. Yeah. No, I agree. I think you need to make the investment in trying to find out where your brands are best suited, whether you are an influencer, where you're a content creator or a brand to see where you'd be most comfortable. And uh, that gives us this episode. I hope you enjoyed our conversation. Thank you so much to Mrombulelo Fox as well for chatting to us. And we'll be seeing you next week with more Business of Influence. I am, as always, Leroy Bach. Tammy Rasheen. And we'll see you next time. From 20 September 2023, you can get insider access to one-on-one -on -one sessions with industry experts all about influencer marketing. To sign up for our free webinar series, visit the episode description to learn more.